Good morning. It's good for us to be together, and as we continue this focus on the Lord's Prayer, I'd like for us to begin this time by saying the words of Jesus' prayer together now. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be holy. May your kingdom come, may your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the bread that we need for today. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Protect us from temptation and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to you. Forever and ever. Amen. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This second sentence of Jesus' model prayer that he gives us is obviously trying to get us to focus our hearts and our minds on this idea of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is referenced throughout all of scripture in a lot of different ways, but one of the consistent themes about the kingdom of God that we need to understand is this unwavering promise that whatever it is exactly, the kingdom is coming. It's arriving. It's, it's showing up. It is breaking into our world. Now, this, this process of the kingdom coming is almost always described as gradual and subtle. In fact, it seems like Jesus says more than once in, in different ways that if you're not looking at it or if you don't know how to look for the kingdom, you just might miss it as it arrives and shows up in our world. And there are many people who, who see kingdom things happening, but they don't realize it because they don't know how to witness it. They don't know how to see it. Jesus, in his own teaching ministry, he's not always very direct when he talks about exactly what the kingdom is. In fact, usually when Jesus talks about the kingdom, you can tell he's talking about it as a mystery. He, he artistically alludes to it through storytelling and parables. And yet here in his prayer, he's very clear, he's very direct about what he means when he talks about the kingdom. He defines it. The kingdom of God is the place where the will of God is done. The kingdom is the place where, where God's dream for creation is always coming true. It's the place where everything that is noble and good and holy and beautiful exists. The kingdom is the place where everyone is treating one another with kindness and patience and selflessness, where nobody's fighting or struggling over who's going to get their way. The kingdom is the place where everyone has a good place to live and everyone has enough food to eat. The kingdom is actually the place that, that Adam and Eve got to walk through before they they decided to reach out and take that forbidden fruit. The kingdom is the place where everything and everyone is touched with the goodness and the glory of the God that created everything and all that exists. In other words, the kingdom is a lot like the place that you and I tend to call heaven. And growing up in church, I used to love singing songs about heaven. They're always upbeat. They have these great tunes. They have these great lyrics that describe a place where anyone, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to find goodness and happiness. It's going to be exciting. It's, it's a place everybody would want to go. And yet growing up singing songs about heaven at the church, the, the, the thing that I think was really obvious to me was that whatever heaven exactly is, it's not here and it's not now, right? There's always this, this future place that we're going to get to experience someday. 
And so as I was growing up and singing songs about heaven, I would be filled with, at the same time, this excitement and anticipation. But there was always a part of my heart that was really struggling to wait. You know, it's really hard to wait. I think all of us at this moment in time understand just how difficult it is to wait. And and I I would sing those songs and I'd think, can't we just fast forward? Can't we just get to that place where I'm transported from here and now? And and suddenly I would be walking along those streets of gold. And, And not when I was a little kid, but as I got older and as I learned more about scripture, I started thinking of all the the heroes of faith that I wanted to walk along those golden streets with. And got to the place where I was even looking forward to having some kind of friendly theological debate with Moses. Now, I, I didn't imagine that as, as a young kid, but as I got older, I did. And I, I just thought it'd be this amazing thing, but we have to wait. Why, why do we have to wait? Why can't we go there now? Heaven was always this place that I, I felt like I was going to go to. And who knew when that was going to happen? And I found it really interesting that in this second sentence of Jesus's prayer, his second request to God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is not praying, he's not teaching us to pray. God, please transport me away from here. Please take me away from here. Help me fast forward and get to the place where everything's good and everything's perfect and I could just kind of go to sleep and wake up and and have it happen all at once. No, instead Jesus actually prays the opposite And teaches us to pray the opposite. God, would you bring bits and pieces of heaven here to earth? Jesus made it clear. The kingdom is the place where God's will happens. And heaven is the place where God's will happens. And if we're praying for God's will to happen here, then we are asking for God to break in. To change things. To change us. To find a way to help us experience what that, that foretaste of glory divine. What does that mean for us to get to experience that every single day? In Revelation chapter 21, John, the author of, of Revelation, is describing you know, the, the last book of the Bible and kind of nearing the, the last chapters of that book. He's, he's describing what it's going to be like in the very last days, at the very end of time as we know it. And he describes this surreal scene where he talks about this heavenly city, this new Jerusalem coming down and resting on the earth. And then there's this heavenly voice that that declares to, to all of us, now God's dwelling place will be among the people. There's this sharing of life, eternal life, that John describes. And, and I think what he's really trying to help us understand is that, that there's going to be this mysterious supernatural moment when when God's dwelling place and our dwelling place they're going to be woven together in ways that that we would never fully expect or imagine on our own that somehow heaven and earth are going to be both of them made new and then they're going to be made one I I struggle to, to to think about what exactly would that be like Not for us to have this idea of of earth and then heaven in the far off future and there's no way that they're connected, that that we don't understand how they're bound together, how they're woven together in in the spiritual imagination of John and and so many other writers uh, throughout scripture. 
And we could go to all kinds of different places where people try to imagine what would that, that marriage between heaven and earth, what would it really be like? But I, I'm convinced that the prophet Isaiah, the 65th chapter of, of the book that bears his name, he gives us a clear picture of what that world might be like, a world where heaven is breaking in. And we're going to read that, that chapter together now, starting in verse 17. The prophet says, See, speaking for God, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they're still speaking, I will hear. Now, we are obviously not living in an earth that's exactly like what Isaiah is saying is going to happen someday. We're not living in a world that feels like or or looks like or, or is actually like heaven. That there's just no way around the fact that that we're still waiting for God to to bring his kingdom, to help his kingdom come in all of its fullness and its glory in our everyday lives. But there's also no way around the fact that when we, we look at this world through the eyes of faith, we really can see places where God's will is being done now in the same way that it's going to be done forever in heaven. There are places in our world where God's way of life really is changing people's lives, improving their lives, rescuing their lives from the darkness that they may have to face. There are places in our world where the pain of the past really is being healed and and people are being spiritually lifted up and nourished with the hope of a better tomorrow. There are places in our world where, where babies and older people are, are deeply honored and valued and cared for and cherished. Even now, there are places in our world, brothers and sisters, where we, we have witnessed the slow at times, the subtle, the gradual, the quiet coming of the kingdom of God that we have to search for, we have to look for, and yet when we search for it, when we look for it, we find it. And yet it is painfully obvious that there is far more work yet to be done. Challenging moments like the one that you and I are living through right now They serve as reminders of this inescapable truth. We still need more and more places in this world that can be be changed by the glory of the coming of the kingdom of God. Places that need to be transfigured with the warm light of, 
of heaven somehow breaking through. And because we still need this world to change, because we still know all of the places our world is broken and people are scattered and suffering, because we still know all of that by heart, we still pray along with Jesus, God, may your kingdom come and your will be done. I don't know about you, but for me, in this second sentence of this prayer, Jesus is really expanding the horizon of my prayer life. Because when I think about God's will, and I'm the one praying, I tend to think about God's will and how it relates to me. And so in one way or another, when I'm praying and and I'm thinking about focusing on spiritually God's will, I'm basically asking some form of this question, God, what is your will for my life? What what do you want for me? What, What is your dream for me? And yet Jesus, while I am convinced he would tell us that that's a really important question that we need to wrestle with, that that we need to place before God, I think he would also encourage us to say, but you don't want to just stop there because in some ways, as good as that question is, there's a bigger, better question. It's not just, God, what is your will for my life? But Jesus wants us to learn to pray, God, what is your will for the life of the world? Not just, God, what is your dream for me? But God, what is your dream for everyone? It is obvious when we read the the stories in the Gospels of Jesus' life and his ministry that he isn't ever only worried, concerned about how God's will is going to be done in his life. And he isn't just concerned about how God's will might be done in the lives of his followers, of his disciples. No, it's clear that, that Jesus consistently is asking for God's will to be done all over the world for everyone. It's never just about him. It's never just about some people. It's about all people. I met Adam Langford at a church camp out. My, my parents have lived and ministered for the last couple of decades with a, a congregation, the East County Church of Christ in Portland, Oregon. And every summer, uh, they gather together as a church and just spend some time in the woods and in nature, uh, building relationships and, and just and spending time together uh, as, as God's people growing closer to God. And that's where I met Adam and his older brother, Ben. They were members of the church And it was obvious uh, that they were devoted and dedicated in this pursuit of trying to be people who would do anything and go anywhere if they felt like Jesus was the one who was asking them to serve in that way or go to that place. Uh, And and, and they were confessional about not not having everything together. They, They had their own struggles and their own doubts and their own disappointments, but they wanted to do whatever they could to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Not long after I met Adam and Ben, uh, Ben and his wife decided that they were being called to be a part of a a mission team that was going to go to Uganda and and along with a teaching ministry where they're going to share the gospel. They didn't want to just talk about God's love, but they wanted to help people tangibly experience God's love. And so they were 
alongside of teaching, they were going to try to establish a coffee shop and create all kinds of different jobs for people uh, that would bless people's lives in ways that were undeniable. And Adam listened to them dream about this and talk about that. And, and eventually he got to the place where he knew that this wasn't just something that his brother and his sister-in-law were being called to be a part of, but he felt like he needed to make a decision that, that he was being called to go to that same place. And so he did. He made the decision to join them and to help. Now, he, he made that decision pretty quickly, but it wasn't an easy decision at all. Adam loved his life as it was. He, he loved his church family there in Portland. He had a great job uh, at, at an investment company. He was doing well there. He's being promoted. He, he was making more, it seemed, year after year. And so to step away from all of that was a real challenge. And on top of that, Adam was somebody who had a lot of dreams for the future. And, and very few of those dreams were directly connected with this specific opportunity to move halfway across the, the world to try to establish a coffee shop that would help lift up the lives of the poorest of the poor. But it, it was a calling that intersected with enough of who Adam wanted to be that he knew he had to go. By all accounts, Adam loved every minute of, of the time that he was able to spend with the people of Uganda. And he and his brother Ben and sister-in-law and all the other men and women that were on that, that mission team, they, they had a front row seat to witness all of the ways that God's kingdom was breaking in. It was showing up, it was arriving, and it was changing the lives of people who, who, who before this experience were struggling to hold on to hope for any sense of a better future. And now, because God was showing up, was, was being revealed to them through this mission team, they knew that God loved them and cared for them. And it, and it made all the sacrifice that Adam made and Ben made worth it. One day, Adam went with a Ugandan man named Moses on a, on a supply run for uh, the, the coffee shop there. Uh, and, and on the way there, everything went fine, but on the way back, uh, there was a, a car accident, and Adam was thrown from the Jeep that they were, were traveling in, uh, and he died immediately on impact. And the story got out immediately uh, to all these people throughout the world who knew Adam, people who cared about him and loved him and and knew the dream that, that he had in his heart that had, that had called him to that place of sacrifice and service. And, and there was just heartbreak and heartache the world over. I found out because my, my mother called me to tell me, and she was weeping. Weeping so, so much that it was hard for me to understand her. It, it just it didn't make any sense. It was... It was incredibly hard to accept that this had happened. It just, it just felt like it came out of nowhere. And here was this young man who'd given his life to, to the mission of God. And this wasn't supposed to happen. A few days later, I received an email from my father. When Adam's brother Ben started going through his things, he found a handwritten list. And this list consisted of Adam's goals for his life. And I'm not going to read all of them to you right now, but I would like to read you a few. Play college soccer. Done. Ski for a season after college. Done. Get a job in the world of finance. Done. 
live overseas for an extended period of time, either for work, school, or mission work. Get married. Marry over my head. Write a book. Live a life worth writing a book about. Have kids. Be the greatest husband and father I could possibly be. Be Christ-like, even if that means never accomplishing the goals listed above. It's that last goal that reveals to us that somewhere along the line in his all-too-brief 27 years, Adam Langford understood that if he was going to faithfully follow in the footsteps of Jesus, his life, it wasn't allowed to be just about him, not anymore. It, It wasn't allowed to just be about his goals and his dreams and his desires. But if he was really going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, he was going to have to find a way to change all that. He was going to have to find a way for his life to be about Christ's dreams and desires, about Christ's mission. At 27 years old, Adam had already figured out that when we follow, we give everything, everything we are and even everything we hope maybe one day we'll be. That we, we give all of that in pursuit of, of Jesus' dream of, of our world made new. Jesus' dream of our world made right through the coming of the kingdom of God. That didn't mean that Adam gave up having any personal goals or dreams of his own. He had a whole list of things that he hoped to experience or achieve. But it did mean that the most important goal in his life, the most important goal on that, that sheet of paper, wasn't actually about him. It was about Jesus was about Christ. And in many ways, Adam Langford's life story is one of the most tragic stories I carry within my heart. And in another way, Adam Langford's life story, it gives me a reason to get up in the morning. Because you see, I'm not able, I'm not able to do all kinds of things that I wish I could do for the sake of, of my calling. I'm not able to, 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 to have the kinds of of success that, that I wish I could have uh, for God. I, I know my limitations. I know my struggles. I can't do and be all the things I wish I could do and be. But I can choose, brothers and sisters, I can choose every single day to get up and live for the cause that Adam died for. It's the same cause that Jesus died for. I can choose to wake up every single morning and pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I can say those words and mean them with all of who I am. I I can pray for God's kingdom to to keep breaking in, to keep coming, to keep reaching out and touching not just the earth, but touching the most God-forsaken places and people on this planet. I can pray for for God's kingdom to not only come, but to come into people's lives through my life. Brothers and sisters, I can pray for God to transform this, this whole world of ours day by day. From the place it is right now to the place Isaiah and John and Jesus 
promise us it will one day be. A place where there's no more sorrow and no more pain and no more tears. I can pray and and mean it. When I ask for for the kingdom to come, I, I can be praying for God to use me, to invite me to get to be a part of this this reclamation project, this redemption project to change everyone and everything from what they are right now to to the promise of who God says they can be. I can pray for God to help all of us step into that place more and more every day, a place that Adam Langford already calls home. But it's not just his home. It's a home that belongs to all of us. It's the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, I think it's amazing for us to understand that the kingdom of God is heaven coming to us. It's not just us waiting one day to get there. It's, it's coming closer every moment of every day. It's closer to us than it's ever been before. Home. That's what we're praying for. When we follow Jesus by saying, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking not to go home. We're asking for home to come to us. May we be people who help everyone, everyone who draws breath in every corner of this world, may we find a way to help them understand that it's not just a home that belongs to us. It's a home that belongs to them too. Let's sing together now.